Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Hello, friends. It is your Horror Vanguard for the week. We are back. Um, we have... We have moved into a new part of the HV crypt, into our Art Deco <laughs> Jazz Lounge, complete with enormous organ. Uh, I am your band leader, uh, the mechanical podcasting machine uh, known as Liquid Guy. Uh, <laughs> we are joined. It is my pleasure to introduce uh, cl- entirely cloaked in black, uh, world-renowned organist, Ash. How are you? Uh, doing doing pretty good. It's actually oh my god, how long has it been now? Jeez, it's this summer will have been seven years uh, since I've seen an organist play live. So that's something that I need to fix before Doctor Fibes comes for me. <laughs> and uh, we are we are once again paying uh, homage, paying tribute to really. I, I, you know, we don't like to talk about canon on the show. We we kind of problematize the idea of canonicity, but in the horror vanguard canon, we're talking about one of the kind of revolutionary heroes of what we do here on the show: the man, the myth, the legend, Vincent Price, PhD. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about how uh, the abominable Dr. Fibes not only went to grad school, but went back for a second doctoral degree. Yeah, we have to get into we have to get into his very specific combination um, because in, in the real world, he'd be like the most uh, obnoxious, like reactionary traditionalist Catholic. <laughs> I mean, who, who gets two humanities degrees? He didn't even jump ship to the sciences or vice versa. He just went back in for a second one. That's or do we yeah. think that this is like was he part of like an early attempt at like some kind of cross departmental dual degree type situation where he can claim two PhDs? So I I have a theory that a lot of his behavior in this film is motivated by the fact that he kept socializing with doctors. And he would have to go, oh, I'm not that kind of doctor. And eventually something within him just snapped. Oh, we'll get we'll get to the grad school discourse later, listeners. We know we know what you're actually here for. Uh, Indeed. So in this this opening uh, section, you know, settle in and allow Ash to explain to, to 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 you, to me. To everyone else thinking, maybe I could do a PhD. What is <laughs> 1971's The Abominable Dr. Fibes really about? Atmosphere, darling. You know how ghosts are. They never tidy up. In Mark Fisher's blog post, A Fairground's Painted Swings, he writes on Zizek's approach to desire, heavily influenced by Lacan, through the lens of Burroughs saying, The vampire junkie must be insatiable and pursue their desires up to the point of self-destruction, but must never cross the line into annihilation. It's tempting to read Dr. Fibes along the same lines, bound by necrotic desires spiraling down into self-destruction, but that misses something deeper in this text. Fibes is annihilationist in his desires. 
The final plague, darkness, descends not only on his would-be captors, but on himself, the memory of his wife, and his worldly riches. Fibes demonstrates not a capital-maddened necrotic desire, but an abject desire from out of a dark utopian potential. Fibes is abominable because, unlike us, he has found a way through. However, for Fibes, and listener, this feels all too close to home in the dire straits of our world, positive and negative outcomes have become fused into a zero-sum, no-win scenario. He has burnt his way out with what Kristeva called a death-infecting life. I find the condition of Fibes so compelling because of a strange utopian potential that we can cultivate from the rot of his reality. An attempt at articulating a kind of post-capitalist horror in the way that Star Trek attempted to negotiate the early fumblings into a post-capitalist speculative fiction. In an idealized world, doctors will still fail their patients, tragedies will befall the unlucky, and there will be those bent and jerked onto the path of misguided violence. All of horror, and indeed all of speculative fiction, is born within capitalism and thus retains the limitations it places on the imagination. Yet, to have a utopian nightmare presupposes a febrile, tenebrous connection to a better future. These nocturnal, morphean lines of flight are fleeting, but in their terror we can feel the waking urge of utopia in the racing of our hearts and the sweating of our brows. Join us as we discuss The Abominable Dr. Fives. Ooh, yes, 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 yes. I, I just want to say abominable, abominable is a word that's hard to say a lot of times. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I did notice that you had uh, kind of skirted around that quite quite handily. Uh, the movie's called Doctor Fibes. The the then then we have Doctor Fibes rises again. Uh, we don't we don't use the a word here on Horror Vanguard because we're podcasters. And if I keep saying abominable, I will say abominable at some point. <laughs> and of course, it'll be like and I'll be like making some like really like deft point. Some like Deluso Guattari and nonsense that like no one's gonna fucking get, and I'll be like, yeah, the abominable Doctor Fives. <laughs> <laughs> we do theory. We're smart. I promise. <laughs> we know what words are. Uh, we do theory and we're smart are two very separate statements. Yeah, that's, that's true. Those, and, things, and those things are fundamentally them, decoupled. Is, yeah, one of them is maybe true. <laughs> <laughs> We know what words are, I feel, is is simultaneously the most easy to demonstrate and the least easy to prove. Uh, correct. Correct. <laughs> um, Thanks, grad school. <laughs> uh, should we, before we get to the, to the grad school struggle session, um, should we, <laughs> should we uh, uh, traverse across the atrium to the, to the art deco formalism zone? Excellent. Let us let us begin in the formalist tradition where most movies have to start eventually set design. God, I love that this movie opens with an ostentatious uh, like 20s robotic jazz band slash organ solo for no reason. <laughs> this is this is so incredibly queer and I love it because in Vincent Price's Hell Quest for Vengeance, he like starts with okay i need a lavish organ i need a playing space i need a band of automata and i need like this high femme supermodel assassin to be my assistant yeah. like it's just a, just yeah, a absolutely priorities you know, fellas fellas have you ever been in love with your dead wife so much that you've hired a 
high femme silent assassin and an army of man of like robotic musicians <laughs> have you ever been so in love that you have immediately uh, gone out and got a floor-length leather trench coat it's just normal guy things it's just like <laughs> very very normal married man things i think the world would be a better place if that was largely true I, I I kind of I kind of think that like it would have been insufferable to be married to Doctor Fives because I feel like this like aesthetic affectation precedes the marriage, you know like like mm-hmm. his yeah. his wife would have come home from a holiday and then like the entire place would have been redecorated into some like Art Deco cathedral. I but there's a bit of me that kind of hopes that he was just like a regular guy, and then <laughs> and then. And then this like horrific tragedy strikes and he's like, finally, I can be my true self. <laughs> oh dear. So so what do you God, the, what, the, a, what a cool fucking movie. This the, movie, the, this movie rips. Slaps. <laughs> this is this is this is a, not to, to take us back to that earlier conversation about canonizing film, but this does enter into my uh films that you can play dope smoker to canon mm. and it, oh it works so it is perfect it works so well dark side of the rainbow but with fives and dope smoker uh like vincent price gives an amazing performance uh without speaking um like the prosthetic work is actually really solid um like the practical effects it's i mean it's the it's 1971 you know it's never going to be sort of amazing but like there's, but it there's kind of is. Very, yeah, but there's some like really impressive, like. <laughs> okay, okay. I have to ask. What's your favorite? What? What? Which is your favorite kill? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, the cutest one. It's the guy that gets to snuggle in bed with a bunch of bats. Yeah, I uh, love it. Love it. what a strong opening. That's that's uh, that's I, been my dream morning for decades, and and here I am watching some actor live it out. Like I'm so jealous. I think maybe the one that genuinely sort of made me just giggle with glee is uh, just filling somebody's plane with rats. <laughs> it's so no, good. I I laughed so hard at the one where where he's uh, uh, trying to kill that woman with like uh, mystery green liquid and like um, <laughs> locusts or giant grasshoppers because like we get a scene where like. You know, like it's obviously it's Doctor Fives. It's this incredibly convoluted saw trap. We'll get to that. It, and like, like the crickets or the grass. Keep saying crickets because that ma- that makes them sound cuter. But they're like big locusts. He's trying to get the locusts to go down this little tube out of this big like drum that they're in. And the locusts, like the locusts, are they're bugs. They're obviously like fuck that little tube. We're not going in there. And so we get scenes of him like tapping, like furiously tapping the side of the thing, and like trying to like prod them into this little tube. Yeah, and then we just, locusts. And then we just like cut and we cut back and like it's just the prosthetic skull and they they they've just clearly like tipped the locusts <laughs> on it. Uh, uh several locusts were harmed in the making of this film. In the making of this film. Yeah. Uh Vincent Price was not harmed. Um but several locusts may well have been. So do do you want to talk about the organ music then? Uh not to divert our conversation here, but it is just a big of a character in this film as Price himself plays. Um, yeah, let's talk about the music. What are your thoughts? So, so obviously, I think the first line of comparison is Phantom of the Opera, right? Like this, this, this is like a, a, a kind of like twisted fever dream version of Phantom of the Opera, and I find that fascinating. 
it's 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 almost like phantom post love right like it's it's phantom but it's just the vengeance and and i find that to be like that that is that is an exciting way to like it like we live in a sea of remakes right now where everyone is just like xeroxing culture but here's here's something that's not it's not really a xerox it, it is a new take it is a fresh spin on an old concept it's um yeah it's it's really interesting it's clearly yeah as you say linking back to phantom of the opera um and to that kind of tradition of well, actually, this is maybe a good good formal point, which is this is a it's sort of deeper roots are in like in opera and in melodrama and in maybe like mm-hmm. the revenge the revenge play of Jacobean theatre. Yeah, um, and the, thus it kind of connects this to oh, oh, was the Theatre of Blood? Oh, of course, yes. This is very Theatre of Blood. It's very Theatre of Blood. <laughs> Um, yeah, every time, every time Vincent Price goes to England, good things happen, which is a rare thing you can say about people going to England. Uh, um, no, you're completely right. You're completely right. Uh, and it's, and all of that kind of like, I think, I think back to something, uh, that, uh, Jay from Library Punk said, uh, when we did the episode on, uh, the Minotaur for Valentine's Day, mm, the opera yes. is about this kind of like excess of emotion like the physical um kind of almost the 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 physically physically concretizing a excessive amount of emotion and then like cathectically pushing it outwards um and like this is very operatic this is a very operatic film uh it, you mm-hmm. know it's it's full of music it's full of like uh essentially like declarations of love beyond the power of death it's full of like these really baroque schemes to murder people. We have to yes. mention the mechanic, the mechanical frog mask, mask as well. Oh god, fantastic! Um, uh, like so, uh, so like maybe on a formal level, we can consider this like either like a Jacobean revenge play or like a melodramatic opera. Oh, absolutely! One hundred percent has has those qualities to it. Of course, there is... The one um, thing... Oh, go on. No, 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 go on, go on. I was going to take us on to prosthetics if you're ready. Yeah, yeah, So, So in the same way that this movie is kind of grafting together a bunch of uh, different aesthetic forms and traditions, it's also kind of very into this conversation of prosthetics. And I think this is a, a formalism point that will in, inexorably have some discourse baked into it. Uh. Well, I think that's very true. But where what 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 to you seems the most uh, kind of immediately notable about the prosthetics work? I, I find I find this to be like incredibly compelling because it kind of like <sighs> prosthetics and horror cinema are often kind of like sublimated, right? We tend we tend to not see the presence of prosthetics or see them as prosthesis rather. That, that's I think how I want to phrase that. Right, I'm thinking about like the machine gun leg and grindhouse, you know, like yeah. like I, that. That's something that I, that is very akin to Doctor Fibes. But like, you know, we can have this conversation all day about like hook hands and all of this other stuff. And even 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 like in Evil Dead, the entire franchise, the chainsaw hand, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. The, the the kind of like nature of that as a prosthetic hand is kind of 
sublimated beneath larger conversations of like gags and violence and aesthetics and horror. Not saying I don't love it. Um, but this one, like these, like Dr. Fives doesn't have like the flamethrower limb. You know, he has, he has a bunch of facial prosthetics because he's been horribly disfigured in a car crash, presumably burned. And he also has a unique vocal prosthetic that allows him to speak, even though his, his, seems his mouth is largely unfunctioning. And of course, so all of that like brings up really interesting, like issues of like disability. Absolutely. Of like chronic long-term health conditions of like the social model of disability um and yeah the prosthetics work so really because there are two layers of makeup right from a practical point of view because you have to give fives his like quote-unquote prosthetic face and then you have to have like fives true face which is of course the prosthetic face that's also on vincent price's face <laughs> yes and, and i think the interesting thing about that is that it raises these questions of like identity because five uh, because uh, uh fives a uh, price is so like <laughs> iconically associated with the horror genre even by 71 there is already this kind of like slippage between vincent price as the actor and oh this is a horror movie because i know that that's vincent price and it doesn't really matter who fives is because fives equal dr fives equals vincent price yes I, I find this to be fascinating in the case of, uh, I almost said fives, wow. In the case of Price, yeah, too, see? because he, so he was he never upset about being typecast as a horror actor because no. he saw himself as bringing the kind of like theater of, uh, like the, the kind of like classic stage acting practice, that body to horror that a lot of contemporary horror was losing, for better or for worse. There, there are good examples in both directions. And like, although like right now I'm like looking at my bookshelf and I have a treasury of great American art, uh, Vincent Price's book on art. Um, mm -hmm. I have, I like what I know, his biography. I have his cookbook that he wrote with his wife. Um, so like, like the kind of like, there's this weird, like, like that slippage is really interesting. And there are the kind of like, you know, like, like almost like this kind of like social technology of prosthesis, right? Like Vincent Price is a mask that's forward facing. Which is very parasocial relationship of us to discuss. Oh, actually shows the extent to which that kind of theatrical background was about like becoming a vessel yeah. for like that classical tradition of, again, very British um, th theatre acting was about things like voice and posture. It was not about like, inhabiting a character right it was about it was about the creation of a kind of illusion um and like yeah it's <coughs> it is parasocial but it's also um it's also about this extent of like identity not being a fixed thing right yeah there is this kind of like you know he is he is the man without the face like this like like eyes without a face he is he is like the he is the phantom of the opera he is the 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 jacobean revenger like he is all of these kind of like uh cultural moments just like concretized on screen for a second so what do you think about the humor of this then we I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about the revenge but this is this was billed as a like dark comedy horror yeah, this is really funny. Uh, I particularly like the policeman who who constantly gets called different variations of fish. Um, <laughs> Inspector Trout. Uh, 
some of it is very goofy. Some of it is very goofy. Uh, but like, there's there's like this is true of Theatre of Blood. There's nothing better than a Vincent Price film for proving our old adage that like horror and comedy are basically dialectically interrelated. Yes. What oh, about absolutely. you? What are your thoughts? I I just completely agree with with what you're putting down here. Like the, there is that kind of like, uh, you know, the, this movie is a little dated. And and some of, some of its jokes and some of its spooks aren't uh, quite as successful as perhaps they could be, um, given the fact that like, you know, how old is this movie now? Very. Um, God damn time. Sorry, the flow of time is convoluted. The seventies were fifty years ago. But yeah, no, I, I just completely agree with what you're putting down about the humor in this in this film and its connection to the same kind of like libidinal threads that horror is pulling on uh but i know i know my you favorite to... oh, my favorite bit of like kind of weird comedy is one of the doctors who like sends away his housekeeper and then is like cranking it to like some old school like sexy movie yes. that he puts up yes yes he he hangs a sheet over a doorway and he starts playing 20s porn which is on like it's like playing off of a phantasmagoria. He has like this incredibly early projector setup, and and of course it's some like you know like very sus orientalist uh, uh, kind of like dancing girl, and yeah, like, dancing with a big boot with a big snake. And, yeah. and you know he's quite literally like he is quite literally cranking it because it's like he's got yes. a handle and he he's has like hand cranking to keep fra- it playing. The frame the framing is like. Oh yeah, it's a very unsubtle visual gag it's, as to what this doctor is really doing. It's so so funny. Like it is it is fantastic and it plays well with like I don't know, this, we'll get into this later, but this movie this movie is a, a meditation on, you know, like the convolutions of desire that kind of pass through all of us with maybe the exception of Dr. Fibes. Mm. And and just watching watching this guy furiously crank it when he's got this kind of like doting live-in cleaner that like <laughs> m- makes a lot of like very odd sexual comments with him and like who knows what's up with that it's it's so weird though just 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 it's just cinema it's just cinema this to me is cinema <laughs> this is this is cinema <laughs> yes this is a uh, criterion this is this is a uh, up there with the masters of cinema, along with the Saw franchise. Uh, this is this is who John Kramer should have been. Kafka and his precursors, but for Saw, we did it. <laughs> we did it. We did it. We did it again. <laughs> oh, it's it's it, that is that is my favorite game to play because it is so damn easy. Kafka and his precursors, but with Enter Thing here. Uh, but no, we yeah, we okay. have it. Should, should we, we flesh this out, like. He's 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 literally what if what if John Kramer wasn't like uh like we all know that John Kramer has a Punisher skull shirt somewhere hanging in his house like we we know the character of John Kramer he's reactionary mm-hmm. he's conservative deeply and in that last movie racist in a way that a movie a movie about the Iraq War coming out in two thousand seven would have aspired to and Doctor Fibes Doctor Fibes no he's just here for vengeance. It's just plain and simple. He sheds all of the weight of that moral posturing, 
that self-aggrandizement, that righteousness, ironically, given that he's a theologian, perhaps not ironically then. Uh, what, are, what are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, he literally saw traps the doctor's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like does does a does a like like a little a recording of himself yes. being like being like hello Dave I'd like to play a game uh, <laughs> just explaining explaining how the mechanism works and he like he even makes the doctor do surgery on his son mm-hmm. to get a key and I'm like John Kramer you fucking hack how dare you steal from Vincent Price and to steal in such a way that degrades it so much too because I think Price is like we can have much more complicated conversations about fibes than we can about Kramer. Yeah, there's something there's something kind of like uh kind of n- almost noble. There's something tragic and tragic in the classical Greek mm-hmm. sense with fibes, right? You know, the the face that can no longer be seen vanishing into darkness, becoming becoming one with death. Like all all motivated out of love, right? But like uh, this is John Kramer as he should have been if he wasn't yes. like a weird, a weirdo reactionary, but was just really in love with his wife. This is what would have been the Saw franchise. To, to go back to that Fisher blog, like John Kramer is that figure of the quote unquote like like vampire junkie, even though I don't necessarily like that term. Like like pursuing his his kind of like vengeance, pursuing his manias to the point of self destruction, but never tipping over, right? Because he's afraid. Right, because John yeah. John Kramer can't commit to the bit. Fibes is purely annihilationist. Fibes, yeah. what, Fibes will die. What does die. he say? What does he say? He's like, I'm already dead. Doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. And the final plague was for him and everyone else. Like the final the final plague was designed for him. He dies at the end of this win or lose. You know, like like there there is a clarity to Fibes that makes his presence more intense, more pitiable, more interesting. Do better, John Kramer. Fact. <laughs> the liberal call out for Saw. Uh, um, this, this, is a, this is a call out thread. Firstly, John Kramer kidnaps people and that is against the law. Second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about time then. It's about time to get discursive. Mm-hmm. And if you like getting discursive, this is a Patreon plug that you've probably heard before. Which means you likely know that uh, patreon.com slash horrorvanguard, www.horrorvanguard.com. I promise the website will be better soon. I'm working on it, please. Um, yeah, those are places you can go to help support us. Any any bit of money goes to furnishing the new opera wing of the crypt. And like, share, subscribe, smash that like button, uh, retweet, repost, reblog. Um, anything else? Am I missing anything here? Uh, hire a skywriter. Oh, hire a skywriter. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, do that one. That'd yeah. be really fun. Um, if you are the owner of a cafe, play our episodes. Yeah, that would be great. That would be wonderful. Um, play them to your students if you're a teacher. Um, <laughs> we will we will indoctrinate them with Marxist ideology. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's not a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit. I'm joking. Um uh, <laughs> I think that's everything. I think we we are still, you know, uh, benignly clueless about how to do promotion, but we're going to keep going. Yeah, we're just we're just going to keep doing this. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I say three hundred something episodes in. Yeah, we're figuring it out. We'll get there. 
So, uh, let's let's talk about something that I think of a lot when I think of Vincent Price, and that's the the utopia that could yet be. Absolutely. Um, all right. I think maybe people who have seen this film, or even people who have not seen the film, might sort of not immediately get where you're going with this. So, sketch this out. Okay. First, Position- I need to, I need to dump a bucket of bats onto everyone who doesn't get it. <laughs> then, then you'll see then you'll understand and the, oh my god that's so embarrassing because if i was dr fibes i would be podcasting instead of playing a really cool organ yeah yeah this is true <laughs> how sad how sad but my general thinking here as, as i kind of explored in the pricey is that i i weirdly thought a lot about star trek while i was watching this right in early speculative fiction early science fiction the kind of stuff that attempted to envision not necessarily a communistic vision of a utopian future but a post-capitalist one you know like infamously in star trek we've kind of shed the the baser impulses that have held our our human species back for so long you know we're post-capitalist we're post-race we're post-gender even though the show itself doesn't necessarily reflect those things because it's born in capital even though the show has that goal it still carries the weights of those things because it comes from a white supremacist culture it comes from misogynistic culture and i kind of was weirdly feeling the same way about the abominable dr fives you know it's it's clearly there are misogynistic elements of this show there's a lot of orientalism going on here it's it's got those weights it's got those baggages but the kind of core of this like is this not a horror story that could be set independent of capital you know, some in, or, or is in fact something that also predates the rise of, of contemporary capitalism. There's kind of something eternal about this story of kind of monstrous vengeance. You know, this kind of burnt out desire gone gone awry. It is these annihilationist tendencies, right? That that makes me think like because we, we've kind of talked about this briefly on a few episodes, but like, what would horror look like in a post-capitalist context? And I think the the, the incorrect impulse is to be like, oh, we wouldn't make horror. Right, we wouldn't need it anymore to negotiate, to relieve, to to be this kind of pressure valve or discursive guidepost for the kind of terrors of the contemporary moment. But I think I think like the the scope of this is far richer than that. You know, like we're 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 not horror doesn't the function of horror isn't to navigate those things. That that's not its pure function. The function of horror is currently held back by those things. You know, like the the types of spooky stories we're capable of are currently limited by the fact that we suffer greatly under capitalism. <laughs> no, I th- and so I think Fibes, for me, was kind of sketching. Ahead. I was just going to say, so for, like, like wrapping it up, like, oh, before I rant forever, um, uh, Fibes for me kind of like is, is a lot like Star Trek in that way. It's kind of probing towards while still dealing with the fact that it comes from this kind of benighted world. It's probing towards something a, a utopian horror, at least this utopian nightmare expression. Uh, as as the resident uh, guy whom has published a book on utopia, uh, how do you feel about this? And what is that book? Uh, <laughs> th- thank you, Ash. Uh, yes, it's a primer on utopian philosophy and introduction to the work of Ernst Bloch. Um, it will be out in the the uh, in, out in March. Um, and I agree, actually. I really agree. But I think the differences between Star Trek and Fibes are really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think you are right. But what 
allows for Fibes to explore this idea of like, what if we didn't exist in the current situation is, is not that it's forward facing. It's very much the opposite because really what is the core of Dr. Fibes is uh, love, right? Mm -hmm. And like, like romantic love, which is uh, much theorized and much discussed, but is also this thing, which is in some senses always surplus to the kind of organizing logic of capitalism, right? Um, capitalism runs into its own limit, which is death. Um, love in this doesn't. Um, so yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you. I think obviously it's a love that's structured through, you know, the heteropatriarchal system of marriage through fives, enormous family wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is, there is, this is, this is not looking forward into the future. It's looking back into the past in a kind of like, in a sort of romantic sense. I really like that. I really like that. But I think I, I think I might have a divergent view on fives. And I think because you're, you're completely right about love, right? Like he is, he is bound up in love. Love is kind of the, 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 the earth thing, right? The spark that set this fire going, but I, I'm not sure if it's the thing that's still burning it. Cause I saw fives as like, because he's annihilationist, right? Like if this would, I was thinking about like, God, like every horror movie where, where someone is trying to reanimate their, a woman, their long lost love, the bride of Frankenstein reanimator. There's a million of these. Um, but, and those are very backwards facing, right? Like those are all about like resurrecting some dead lover to, to keep that love going. Right. It's like this necro romance, necromantics, which is a movie maybe we'll do eventually. Um, we have hundreds of horror movies to go though. Um, but this movie, like I, I found fives to, to, to be looking towards some kind of future, right? Like he has this forward facing goal that is this vengeance and, and the kind of final culmination isn't like, you know, but, but the movie almost like teases this too, right? Because fives is clearly skilled enough to either construct some automata or he's rich enough to buy them. Right. He He's also like, you know, like he's got two PhDs, but they're in music and theology. Music and theology PhDs cannot build an orchestral cathedral. They can't build saw traps, right? Like Fibes has access to like a very impressive range of skill sets. It's also intimated that he built all of his own prostheses. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like a masterful medical knowledge inside of Fibes, or at least an access to that. And it's almost teasing that like, He's going to bring her back. It's a resurrection. But then the fact that the, the final plague is annihilationist, right? Like he he wants to die. And even if that is to kind of like maybe be with her in the afterlife or just lie down next to her in the grave and let the kind of like nothingness flood through them to, to release everything. I think there is kind of like a really dark kind of forward facing attitude about that. Actually, actually. I think you're kind of, I think you're more right than I am because what is he <laughs> first time for he, everything yes what does he kind of keep talking about when he's monologuing is like bearing witness yeah to mm-hmm. to her suffering um and it's like yes it is there is there is an end point um but really like 
you I think you're really onto something with this idea of like he isn't interested in his victims per se, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter as long as he gets to the end point that he's being kind of pushed towards. Um so yeah, I think that's a really important point. And it's not even like it's it's not even really about his wife anymore. It, and, it's, and I think this might like tie us a bit into desire, which is maybe skipping ahead a little. But like it's yeah, at least my reading of Dr. Fibes is he's not like it, 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 he's expressing that it's about her pain and her suffering, but it's it's more about their failing and his perception of their failing. You know, mm. it's 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 about their inadequacies. It's about it's it's not even so much about his loss. You know, it's it's this perceived slight, it's this perceived failing, this wounding. He's kind of got like the 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 if there's a desire driving him forward, it's kind of the vengeance itself. Right? It's these grand acts of like cosmic justice that he's levying out in a way that like Five, Fibes, I feel, is trying to like what killed his wife seems to be the kind of cruel fluxations of fate that pass through all of us at every moment. You yeah. know, like you, you never know. You never know when that bus is going to be the one that hits you. You never know if you've got a sneaky clot or there's a meteor heading your way. That's just living. And that seems to be what killed his wife. She just got unlucky on the operating table. And maybe we could extrapolate things that aren't in the film like. The doctors could have been overworked because of capital or things like that, but it's that that would be stretching the text to I think it's breaking point. And I think we have like he 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 is now on the same or he wants to be. He's trying to elevate himself to the same plane of that kind of capricious act of like Greek mythological fate. You know, yeah, like ex- exactly. Yeah. Um and like every other like social system every other kind of like codified institution that is designed to mitigate against fragility and contingency and flux is shown to be like completely ineffectual um, yeah right the, the the police don't do like we say this a lot but they are like hilariously incompetent my my one of my favorite lines in the entire film is like uh one goes oh it's a bit weird there's been like three surgeons who've all died in a week uh, and the, the like head of the police turns around and goes, well, yes, well, medical men die every day. <laughs> there's, some <very laughs> strange, there's some very strange people practicing medicine now. I, this, is, this is such a good, like, this fits into the horror vanguard, like, horror movies are all about the incompetency of law enforcement. <laughs> but, like, in the context of what you're saying, right, about Fibes' annihilationism, about this, it's Shakespearean, right? It's, it's Hamlet, right mm-hmm. you get your revenge but really what you want is you want death because in death the revenge is not meaningful anymore because it's not needed yeah. to be meaningful yeah, so yeah. Like, U- ultimately the revenge is kind of what, what if what's the final actual target of the revenge it's the self it's the thing that actually yeah, bears exactly. all this guilt and pain exactly um you know how Ham- like hamlet and vibes both seem yes. almost relieved at the end Ab- absolutely but what I was going to say is like, so the law traditionally is the thing that that deals with the contingency and finitude of human existence, right? So if there, were, if there had been a failing, and it's very heavily implied that there wasn't, you're quite right, that this was just bad luck. Something, something went wrong. Um, like, but the law is supposed to be the thing that is the guarantor, right, of, of our feelings of justice. 
But like the law here is just a joke. They're just a joke. It's just a punchline. And really mm-hmm. it's some good, it's some good goofy seventies comedy, but it also like thematically really resonates with five's entire arc as a character. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it also highlights, says something that is, that is of course much older, but is now way more present. And that's like, I was listening to an episode of uh, trash future recently. And they were discussing how even, even for like, the middle and upper classes, the context of policing is changing. You know, yeah. like the the ability of police to ostensibly solve crimes as is lower and lower and lower with year after year. They just have this force of of defending capital. They're just increasingly there to do that, or reactionary politics, which are of course in the interests of capital. And I think this movie is kind of like oddly reflecting that because these like it's it's not like it's not like the late. Mrs. Fibes went to Hollywood upstairs medical for her emergency surgeries. You know, like these, these are like London's finest doctors all living in penthouses and mansions. You know, they, they, these are ostensibly under the logics of capitalism, the greatest living doctors of Fibes' time, at least local to the country. And here, here, here is everything still in a total state of collapse. And the cops are just like, making wacky jokes and, and trying to like sluice out sluice out the mystery here but they can't beat a guy who just doesn't have a face <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um because what's what's the thing that that is uh is desire it's only it's only desire like vibes is like in a, in a, you know uh in a in a in a sort of like very literal sense is very sort of desubjectified, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he becomes a ghost. He has no face. He is not observable. He has returned from the grave. He is this kind of specter haunting the rich of London. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, but I do really do think that your point about desire is the kind of like anchoring kind of uh, constellation that organizes the entirety of the film. Yeah, and this is this gets really interesting with Fibes too, because I was looking at a lot of um, kind of summaries of the movie and interpretations of the ending and stuff like that, and and there seems to be a, pre- a prevailing attitude that the reading of the end of the movie is Fibes believes that he has completed his revenge, he's killed all the doctors, and and now he goes to lie down in his grave with his wife, not knowing that that his final victim uh, escaped his proto saw trap. Right, so so he's tragically going to die with an incomplete revenge, but I kind of don't think that that's what happens at the end, because mm. Fibes Fibes's desire for for the final doctor, right, isn't to kill him. It's not to kill his son. It's it's to put him back in that situation, but change the stakes. No longer is it the person in the, on this earth who was most important to Fibes. It's now the person that's most important to him. It's his son. That's who he needs to operate on and save. And we don't. We know that he saves him from the trap, but we don't know if the young boy lives. That's kind of left outside of the movie. He's rushed away in the end by police and medics, and we don't know the kind of ultimate fate of this child. So that's kind of like a hanging anxiety at the end of the film. Yeah, there was quite a lot of like contemporary criticism at the time that said the ending kind of lacked like pizzazz, it lacked punch. And it's like, actually, the ending... Uh, Obviously, there are kind of very straightforward reasons. Maybe a sequel. You know, we want to keep the door open. But actually, <laughs> the the ending the ending is um, 
exactly the kind of downbeat ending that is necessary for kind of vibes to be tragic rather than just be like a horror villain. Yep. Absolutely. And then, then like like the last the last plague too. Like our, our final scene is like Fibes' coffin is sealed secretly within the walls of, of his little palatial estate. And then everything darkens on our, our cops and our final like uh, protagonists, our heroes who are, I guess Fibes is the anti-protagonist. I don't know. Um, like, like darkness descends on everyone, right? Like the, the, the kind of tragedy of this, like I think your, your connection, you're connecting this to Hamlet is so apt because like the ending of Hamlet doesn't have a lot of pizzazz. This feels no. like a goth ending, a more goth ending of Hamlet, I should say. Um, and also, it's very notable, and maybe we can get onto this in our next section. Is that they've moved the <laughs> they've moved the order of the ten plagues around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not that's you know they make a very big deal about Fibes being a theologian or having a degree in theology, um, a degree in theology from the Sorbonne, which is really weird. That's a really weird <laughs> choice. Um, like he goes like the weird thing is like he does his apparently he does his uh, his PhD in music at Heidelberg. And then does theology at the Sorbonne, and actually, it w- in some ways, it would make more sense if those two things were reversed. <laughs> um, but I, this is getting into the weeds of academia. We don't need to go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> who, do, who do you think? How do you think the supervisor of Fives' second PhD feels after hearing that he used the theology knowledge to murder a bunch of high-end doctors in London? <laughs> <coughs> It's ama- uh, amazing. I mean, that's, for, for, you know, that's the, isn't that basically the practical application of theology anyway? <laughs> well, I, I, do, I mean, like I do, I guess that's an interesting pocket conversation on like, almost like, like the, the Fibes, Fibes is clearly not actually concerned with some kind of like theological message. Like this isn't a, a kind of like left politicizing of theology that Fibes is doing. This is a kind of and this is like, you know, like we we were, we might be kind of celebratory of Fibes because, you know, as John alluded to earlier, his character and the kind of screen presence of Vincent Price are a bit fused. And we're a horror movie podcast, so in, in the kind of like problematic men, women, and chainsaws way, we do tend to cheerlead our our maniacal uh, uh, leading actors. But what I what I find to be kind of like something that maybe we can press on a bit with Fibes is he's kind of doing a reactionary thing. He's, he's, he's kind of like aestheticizing theology in order to elevate himself to kind of the, as I was talking about earlier, the capricious nature of gods. And you really, you really kind of like flesh that out with like the, the these, these, these kind of aren't the biblical plagues. These are kind of just like loosely similar plagues. Yeah. And he gets custom jewelry made. <laughs> this is, this is, this is the bit where I'm sort of like, this film is amazing. Um, he has like specific uh, pendants with uh, Hebrew letters on, um, mm-hmm. or Hebrew words on, related to each of the of the plagues, and he loses one in a crime scene. It's taken to a jeweler who's like, "Yes, I made these. I made an entire set." Um, and I'm sort of like, "Why? <laughs> Wait, because uh, because the extent of the th- of the quote unquote theology in this is uh, our uh, Inspector Trout." Um, ends up going to visit a rabbi mm-hmm. who explains who explains what the ten plagues were um and it's it's very odd that that's that's something that's the the use of the hebrew jewelry uh and the kind of like orientalism of his 
femme queen assassin. <laughs> um, d- does kind of feel a bit weird because um, the ten plagues of Egypt don't just appear in uh, Jewish holy writing. They are an integral and incredibly famous part of the Christian Old Testament. Yes. Um, and I'm sort of like, are we sort of like butting up onto some theological orientalism here? Right? It would be too straightforward to be like, let's go to the church and talk to a bit. We have to go to a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Hebrew and he's made it in special jewelry. Um, and there's, so there's bits of that which I feel kind of like slightly, yeah, I agree, with slightly reactionary in tone. It, 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 almost, it almost feels like that they kind of transplanted a much more common hammer horror desire. Like I almost feel yes. if this if this was a hammer movie, he would have like, oh, did you hear that Dr. Fibes? He's got his PhD in music and the occult. And there would have been like satanic emblems or something. Like it it, it feels like there was an attempt at subverting you know, re- replacing the kind of like, okay, it would have been kind of stock if he would have been like hanging satanic symbols on all his victims. But replacing that with Hebrew and using this kind of like, you know, mythology and and theological symbology that would be familiar or much more familiar, I should say, to a a presumably Christian audience of this movie. But the the execution is clumsy with a lot of that stuff. Uh, Yes. And like, you know, he's playing Mendelssohn at the beginning, which is like, that makes sense. And he's famously like. The, one of the doctors very like very clearly queer coded son that it's like <laughs> yes. it's like his his tiny gay son is like oh fives the famous organist um yep and i'm sort of like okay so you've done a phd and you can play mendelssohn and you're a famous org- or you can do your famous organist that makes sense but i'm also like it seems like his expertise in playing the organ helped him get his voice back <laughs> 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 I'm like, those are two very different fields of study. I would love to have been in that Viber exam. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. His, oh God, what is his dissertation is on like organs and like the, the, the construction of the larynx or something. (laughs) No, he, oh, that's, that's what what he was. This is, this is like an early medical humanities guy. Oh my God. (laughs) Really, what is what is the, the the contraption of the human voice if not uh, an organ turned to other means? Yeah, he becomes he be, he he becomes a body with a very specific organ. He's <laughs> a body with an organ. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I, I apologize to. I apologize to the six very uh, the six people super into Deleuze and Guattari who are going to get very mad at that joke. Yeah, everyone out there who's got like a PhD in like Deleuze and Guattari and philosophy and a PhD in music focusing on the organ will now be very, very upset. Yeah, this is true. Um, so, so maybe we should, should kind of stick the landing here on grad school. Yeah, there's some like so. So Fibes is a doctor, surrounded by doctors, but he's not that kind of doctor. But he's clearly got a lot of the kind of same doctor knowledge as these other doctors that he's killing for making mistakes with the knowledge that they've got. Um, I, I I don't know how do we how do we kind of unpick this? I mean I mean I think they're 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 like they're, this is nothing but loose threads when we pull on the Fibes has two PhDs ball like you're like I should say the sweater of Fibes's double doctorate degrees. Or doctoral degrees 
is nothing but loose threads. It's not even a sweater. It's a bunch of threads held together in the shape of a sweater. Because I'm not even sure what it, like, adds to the movie outside of, like, plausible deniability that he knows a bunch of stuff. And that, like, people, weirdos into contemporary organ would be, like, that. that is that is the queerest thing that, that, that like you know, like teenage son could have done is been into contemporary organ. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, assassin daughter versus organist son. Which do you choose? <laughs> oh my God. They become roommates later. Oh my God. I love that. Love that for them. That's wonderful. But no, like I, I think, I think it's like fitting into this, like, I, I, I don't know, like, one of the threads I want to draw is this kind of like filmic idea that bestowing a bunch of doctoral degrees, like what's the thing from Marvel where they're like, oh, Tony Stark has like seven PhDs, which as as someone who went to grad school, that would tell me that Tony Stark has six definite problems in his life. Like, what <laughs> what are you running from, Tony Stark? Do something. Quit going to grad school. And then we got this. We got the same thing. It's the two PhDs. So he has to be like ultra smart and not what that would be which is one of those would be honorific yeah right? like, like one, one of those would be like honorific or by publication like it wouldn't wouldn't be like an earned phd although, although by publication is earned i should caveat that and and like so, so we have this kind of like filmic language and then the other side like part of me feels like it's kind of like pressing up against notions of professionalism you know because here's here's all these people with doctoral degrees here's all these police you know, the, all of these people who are ostensibly professionals and they're all losing out to kind of like a, a random femme supermodel with no speaking lines who kind of just does whatever Five asks. You know, for, like for like, reasons for reasons which we're not really clear on. Yeah, for reasons which uh, they just don't matter. They just don't matter. Fives needs and needs an assistant. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Oh, maybe that's maybe she really liked organ, like contemporary organ, and the chance to work this close with the famous double doctor fibes it's it's worth assisting in one through seven murders <laughs> yeah i i actually i actually think this kind of reflects a broader uh a broader kind of like point which is that culturally we don't really know what phds are or what they're yep. for <laughs> yes absolutely um, and this is and this is because mostly phds are kind of useless uh, in that they, they <laughs> in that they don't necessarily have like immediate utilitarian valence for like employment in a way that kind of makes sense with the rest of um you know kind of the capitalist economy i actually i actually remember um one of my very first undergraduate lectures with a with an incredible incredible english academic who came in and was very annoyed that they had had to go and justify the employability skills that an English degree would give you. And he sort of rolled his eyes and was like, I had to fight back the temptation to tell them that if you really do study English, you'll never do an honest day's work in your life. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it's useless, right? It's the pursuit of knowledge is sort of useless. And like Fibes', Fibes is beautiful organ playing and his mechanical band um and his beautiful art deco home are kind of useless right they don't necessarily mm-hmm. do anything produ- quote unquote productive it's, it's in, the an- cap- in the capitalist in that sense way. yeah yeah 
I, I, I'm totally getting on board with, with this reading. I really, really like that. And, and I think the kind of like the negative side of that too, right? Where like, ostensibly, what is the PhD for? What, on, the, on the side of the tin, what is getting a PhD? It is a pursuit of knowledge and a generation of original theory, original research that is supposed to push the conversation forward to, to advance the collective knowledge of humanity. But practically speaking, like because it's been so linked into capital, it's a job training program for becoming an adjunct professor, you know, it, and, and the research is, is subordinated to that. It's a thing you do in addition to a bunch of teaching. Yeah. And, you know, here, here we have kind of like the, the, the total breakdown of that. Like the, this is the popular conception of like, oh, like what, what do professors do? Do they run around in foppish cloaks? With their with their mechanical bands, that must be it. Yeah. Finally, finally, uh, every para academic or everyone who's left grad school or everyone who has gone into what they call alt ac, finally we have a career model. We have <laughs> Doctor Vibes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh well believe we've reached the end of today's uh, uh organ session or our session without or with one organ i should say yeah we, we are we are a body with one very nice organ <laughs> that, is, that is that is joke of the day that was fantastic <laughs> oh. well thank you everyone for listening to an episode on the abominable dr fibes uh, we look forward uh to eventually getting to the sequel but who knows what's in store for us here in the future uh yeah i don't know have fun go listen to some organ we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse until next week stay spooky